0: so unpredictable here on the
1: yes and now network
2: yes that is right. welcome on in everybody to the Saturday night Network here for another Monday night roundtable here to recap the Michael B Jordan and lil baby episode of Saturday Night Live. My name is John B. Schneider from the SNN. So excited to be with you on this Monday to talk about another great episode of SNL. I walked away on Saturday being like, hey, we are on a hot streak. And I watched it for a second time. And I really felt like this was a really fun episode of SNL. Very different than last week's show. Completely different than last week's show. But good nonetheless. And there was a lot of uh, interesting things to dive into. And that's what this show is for. It's to talk about all the biggest moments that will be remembered from this episode of a Saturday Night Live. So I'm very excited to do that with our panel tonight. We got three all-stars with us. So let me bring in the first one. It is Andrew Haskell. Andrew, how are you? I'm doing good. It
3: has been a minute since I've done a round table. Uh so it's great. Like I've been doing marathon super fan drafts. I've been doing hot take shows. It is great to be here and do some episodes uh where I don't need like three Red Bulls. So I still drank three Red Bulls. I just didn't need them. Um, so excited to be here. Yeah, you're a warrior, though. I
2: love it. We put you through the ringer, and i, I that's a different podcast, but I appreciate you. Uh, so so happy to have you on the show, Askel, and get your thoughts. And then, I, it has been the longest I have gone in my entire time podcasting without getting to talk to this guy. So, Welcome back to the podcast, the king, Rich Tackenberg. Rich, how are you? Sir,
1: oh, the last time we did a show together, I think Kevin Nealon was hosting Update. So yeah. it's, <laughs> it's been a minute. I'm so excited to be back, so excited to be here. And just as we we're getting started, I got a Google Chrome alert from YouTube saying that the Michael B. Jordan SNL roundtable has gone live. So it's very exciting. Even my, my computer is excited that I'm here. It's great
2: you set up Google It's for the podcast. That's dedication. So, there you uh, go. I, yeah, I appreciate that, Rich. So getting, I started talking about it, and I checked today. By the way, uh, you were on a Hot Take show. You know, we thought it'd be fun to switch you onto a Hot Take show for the Jack Harlow episode, maybe, and then or like one of those uh, around that run. And then uh, besides that, the last roundtable you are on was the premiere. So um, just welcome back to like th- this is the show that you were bred for. So happy yes. to have you on it.
1: So yeah. good to be here. Yes.
2: Yeah. For sure. So excited to get your thoughts, and of course, always a pleasure to get to hear from her on the podcast. It is the lovely Kalina Steckel. Kalina, how are you?
0: Hi, y'all. I'm excited. This is my first roundtable. I'm. Uh, is it really? Re- yes. I'm also having to remind myself that, like, I don't have to come in with my fiery takes that I was preparing in my notes last night. I was like, oh wait, this is a this is a civil conversation. I don't have to come in with hot takes on everything. So I'm excited.
1: A civil conversation. What happened to this show? Come on. <laughs> I want the fiery takes.
2: Yeah, yes, uh, 100%. Uh, so we will see, Kalina, we'll see if Rich can get the fiery takes out of you nonetheless. But yeah, it's am excited to have you on a roundtable, Kalina. That's so much fun. Well, uh, let's talk about this episode of Saturday Night Live hosted by the Michael B. Jordan, not Michael Jordan, who hosted SNL in the 90s, the uh, amazingly... Uh, great basketball player, but this time we get Michael B. Jordan, and you know, I was excited to have him on. Funny enough, I don't know if listeners, we didn't get to talk about this on Saturday, listeners, I don't know if you remember, but there was a music video that came out recently, a Drake music video, which was a SNL parody, where we had Michael B. Jordan introducing Drake as a musical guest to come out, and this was like pretty viral a few months ago, and everyone's like, oh, Michael B. Jordan should host SNL, and this is something that people have talked about for a long time, uh, obviously, you know, known very well for Black Panther over the last few years and then you know previously was on the wire was on soap opera so yeah he's been around for a long long time and this makes complete sense to have him on the show and my you know when we go through the panelists and talk about their thoughts on the decision to book michael b jordan i really feel like michael b jordan is such a big star and it sort of reinforces how i'm feeling about snl in 2023 which is we're no longer limited by the COVID potential restrictions of being only able to book guests who like can have an opening in their schedule because everything is so jam packed since it was delayed projects due to COVID. I think now we're starting to get the A list stars coming in again, which is huge for the show. So Haskell, how were you feeling when you heard that Michael B. Jordan
3: was booked for Saturday Night Live? This this is a no brainer, like layup. Like this is the type of person who should be hosting SNL. We all love when it's a straight like comedian. Uh, because those do produce some of the best episodes. But if you look around, like Michael B. Jordan, he's he's coming at it from every angle. Like women love him, like naturally, like he's a he's a good looking dude. Uh, he has experience in you know superhero movies, so he's he's kind of you know people from that fandom love him. Um, but then he's also done some like you know he does Creed, he does like sports movies. He's like he also kind of comes at it from that really cool angle. These are the types of people that even if they're not like comedy wise, like he doesn't have a a, a large background doing comedy where you might not look at it, I don't know how he's actually going to perform. SNL needs and SNL is built on having this type of host a handful of times throughout the year where you don't know what the comedy is going to be like, but you do know that he's bringing eyeballs to the show. So absolutely complete no brainer that he's the type of guy that they should have brought in and it was a great decision to bring him in.
2: Yeah, clearly an amazing sketch comedian because he was able to pull off a lot of stuff here this week that I was pumped to get to see. Definitely, uh, I felt like fit the bill of a star. So Rich Tackenberg, were you excited when Michael B. Jordan
1: was booked to host SNL? So here's my uh, fiery hot take. No question smart for the show to book him. No question. But for me, I was pretty nervous. I always get nervous when Actors who do not have a live or comedy background that are known for dramatic actors, male or female, come on the show because I'm always nervous how they're going to do. A pattern I often see is the serious actor who's so excited to be SNL that they take everything too big. They try to, like, I'm going to play with the big boys and they try to play it really high. So I was nervous that we were going to get an over-the-top Michael B. Jordan playing everything at 13. I was very, very pleasantly surprised that we did not get that. And he fit right in. So I was nervous and then ver- and my nerves were completely unfounded in execution.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. He, he's just a, such a likable guy. I mean, besides the fact that everyone thinks he's ridiculously attractive, but besides that, he seems like to have just this likable, charming personality that I feel like uh, he was just a perfect choice. Uh, but Kalina, do you feel the same way? Or are we too busy slobbering over Michael B. Jordan?
0: I'm definitely going to be the person who's, like, not not quite as much in his court. I don't dislike him by any means, um, but I've just, I'm not, like, the first person lining up at the box office for his movies. So I was kind of a little bit more with Rich there where, yes, it makes sense. It's, like, a practical decision, and, like, Haskell was saying, you know, it's great to have these, like, big A-list names and kind of back in line with, like, okay, this person has a movie coming out, so they're here to do some promo – I like the idea of that. But I, too, was like, yeah, you know, I've really only seen him do serious stuff. I think Fruitvale Station was the first time that I really remember, like, having exposure to Michael B. Jordan. And so same thing. I didn't really know, like, yeah, is he going to be doing really ridiculous stuff in these big, giant outfits or masks or costumes? Or is he going to be so focused on getting the laugh that maybe, you know, the cleverness of the writing is going to be overshadowed? And I thought he did pretty good. The, the two things that I look for in first time hosts kind of for like my own fun are how much are they looking at the cue cards and how natural do they seem and whatever character that they're doing. And I thought he really did well in both.
2: Yeah, that, that is totally fair. Um, you know, I, I guess the question oftentimes when it comes to booking some of these hosts is like that we talk about the Michael B. Jordans of the world is do they want to host Saturday Night Live? And it seems like a lot of them do. And, you know, when, when we find out and he goes up and he starts talking about his history, his past uh, in the monologue and, you know, how he's been in the building before and all this stuff, it really makes us fall in love with with them more and get excited to see them. So, Kalina, I totally understand where you're coming from about the things that you evaluate, but just from a decision-making perspective, I feel like that was the right choice this week. Now, uh, you know, it's a very interesting run that we're getting this time where we have Aubrey Plaza, uh, Michael B. Jordan, and then Pedro Pascal, who we will talk about at the end of the podcast. But it feels like this run especially is the first run in many years where we have three big name hosts who all seem to have wanted to host the show and are getting their first opportunity to do it. So um, very excited about this run. And I think it's paying off in terms of what we're getting to see here. So let's dive into the episode and let's talk about the sketches that we saw uh tonight and we'll start off things with our cold open which was the classified documents press conference cold open and you know i think a theme of some of the sketches that we saw or some of the moments that we saw from this night talking about what this episode will be remembered for is that i really feel like if you were to say to me john in season 48 of saturday live what is the checklist of things that you could potentially see on the show i think they hit like 80% of them last week, and the other 20%, came out this week so like all the things he didn't get last week we got a little bit of this week and not just in terms of storylines with the press the press conference for the classified documents and perhaps southwest as well but also in terms of some of the uh, cast members that we got to see this week that we didn't see as much last week so i think that will be a theme as we begin to talk about this episode but particularly with this cold open it opens up on mikey day as our anchor which is you know unique he's not usually in this role where he gets to anchor the entire cold open and he's playing attorney general Merrick Garland, who we get the first impression of him ever on the show. And it is basically, um, there's, there's a weird sort of subplot here where he keeps getting memed, which uh, I guess was was a little bit interesting. But beyond that, he's mostly there to bring out different agents who are going to find classified documents in different pol- politicians' homes. So we have Keenan Thompson, Agent Conrad Nance. We have Ego Wodum, Agent Casey Holmes, and Owen Yang, Agent Derek Kaye. And, you know, it's a fun, different one where they're talking about going to see uh, Obama's home and Kamala's home. And that, to me, was probably the more interesting stuff here in the Cold Open. So, Haskell, what did you take away from this Cold Open this week?
3: So, kind of just, like, from a personal standpoint, like, I have, for since I was in high school, have always, like been Super into like politics and always like super into what references are is SNL making and then within like the last eight years in America like it's hit that boiling point where like you can't turn on the like everybody that you know knows every political figure it is so just flooded in our society that it was really nice to like have a cold open where he's Merrick Garland and being like. I don't even know if this is a great impression of Merrick Garland because I actually haven't heard him speak that much. And like, I, this like classified documents, uh, I've just like, it's something that you can just follow kind of on your peripheral. So, like, it, it was really nice to have a cold open that was political and didn't feel like, oh God, like, I'm just, it's the transcripts again. And it's just this whole story. I'm so sick. So, I was kind of excited to be like, oh, wait. It, like I felt like young again, like, like being like, all right, what's SNL going to teach me about this situation? Uh, so it was really fun. It was, but, but beyond that, it was a very sort of, to me, like um, uh paint by numbers, cold open. The one thing I'm all, and I know the cold open more than anything else, besides maybe weekend update is that thing that, that kind of is in like transition mode up until the show starts. So I've always understood like the blocking on the cold open always has to be more simplistic because it's always being edited. Um, but I, I, I just am not a huge fan of the step and repeat cold opens. And this is what we had. It was, you know, the, the same beats, they come in, they tell the jokes. I just wish it was a little bit more dynamic. The individual jokes that they were making about each individual uh person with classified documents, they all kind of hit in their own way. Nothing was really a clunker. I just wish it was a little bit more dynamic.
2: Yeah, that's fair. I mean, they definitely do cold opens that are on two different stages. Like sometimes you'll have somebody who is uh, in a press conference, and then you'll have on a separate stage, the people asking them the questions so that you know, like they look like they're facing each other, but they're not actually so from a production perspective, sometimes it could probably get a little bit more complicated in terms of the blocking. But I do get what you're saying. Typically, we'll get that one stage where somebody will be running in and then running off, and it'll be that formula there. And you know, when does that work? Well, it only works if you have somebody coming on that really Really blows the house away and rich i don't know about you but i sort of felt like that was Bowen and yang in this particular cold open where i really felt like he stood out above everybody else what'd you think
1: uh i really liked it a lot i mean to that point what i liked about it i think that it, it built really nicely. What I liked about it is Jerry, you know, the rule of three. So we have Keenan, and then, you know, uh, you know, and then we have Ego and then we have uh, Bowen. What I liked about it in the writing is that it wasn't okay. We're going to do this. Okay. The same thing three times. We actually played three different games. The first is how lonely Mike, how, how lonely one former vice president is. The second is, are you fucking kidding me? And then the third was not what Obama did, but what it was like to be around Obama. And so I thought that there, I think one of the reasons that that uh, Bowen was so good was the way it was written up to that point. So we had this really nice ramp up and we played three different games. So by the time we got to Bowen, it wasn't like, oh, OK, I already see the jokes coming because we were playing a different game. So I thought the ramp up on that was really nice. And I th- I actually thought everybody worked. I thought Ego was fantastic in just, it was just, it was one joke. She had to play it kind of two or three times, but it just worked really well. So I thought, I thought they were all really strong interesting
2: yeah i mean i I think ego was pretty good in this one uh but really i just love the like bowen's uh swagger in particular as he was just so excited to meet obama i think that was like a different i mean we've already heard you know many times how how much people are excited to go and meet him but like i think he just did it in such an interesting way Uh, i'll play you that clip don't mean to brag but (laughs) i was in barack obama's house (laughs) Like it was just such a turn on like expectations because you expect him to come out and be completely uh, you know well behaved as far as an agent is concerned but then he's just completely succumbs to getting excited to meet uh, Obama so I thought that was fun but I do get what you're saying Diego was pretty good too Kalina uh, what were your standouts from this cold open did you like it
0: yeah so i I've, I've noticed that over the years. I have really high expectations for cold opens in the sense that they have gotten so repetitive sometimes that I almost tune out and forget that it's the start of the show where I should have my attention the most focused. Um, So same thing, kind of like Haskell said, I'm not too familiar uh, with the gentleman that Mikey Day was playing. So I also had no gauge for how good of an impression this may or may not have been. But I was cracking up the whole time and I felt like I was watching Mikey Day have a lot of fun doing it. And that's always something I look out for is like, do I see the cast members having a good time? Are they having fun playing around with, you know, this character or this material? So that kind of hooked me in right away. And then once I kind of saw where it was going, like Rich was saying that there was kind of a nice build to everything it really held my attention and got me excited to you know, watch the episode. I do think Ego deserves a shout out because I think there's something to be said about actors on the show who can come in with like one line or kind of just be the laugh for that part of the sketch. And coming in and nailing it right away and being mem- memorable for doing that, I think is definitely worth noting. But Bowen at this point, I am just such a fan of him, kind of in the same way that if the camera ever goes to Keenan for a reaction shot. Anytime Bowen shows up and is doing something silly, or he's kind of playing like the archetype of whatever person he's embodying, that's always going to get a laugh out of me. And then obviously, you guys can see around me bonus points for the jokes about Lin-Manuel Miranda. So I was hooked on the cold open and really enjoyed it.
2: Of course. And then I think we would be remiss not to talk about this other aspect of the cold open, which finished uh, things off here. I'll play that for our listeners.
3: So when we're done playing with these little papers, we're going to head down to Memphis and make sure justice is served down there, too, right? I sincerely hope so. Yeah, you damn right. Just making sure.
2: And of course, yeah, no, they break out of the cold open to talk about the situation that happened down in Memphis and the depth of um, it. Tyree and it was just you know it was really uh you know interesting that they did that because oftentimes sometimes we will see when they discuss serious situations in our cold open uh it'll be you know one person directly to camera talking about like a tragedy that's happening around the world or something like that uh usually by a veteran cast member or on weekend update here and I think you know my question for the panel is is not you know should SNL you know discuss this because I think if Keenan Thompson or other members of the cast or crew or whoever feel that this is something they want to bring attention to uh that is certainly their right with the platform that they have uh but is uh, doing it in the cold open uh, the place to do it or doing it on weekend updates where it's more direct to camera the right place to do it? Because I, I, I think that's an interesting question to maybe touch on a little bit as appropriate as we can, because uh, I do find it interesting to break out of a a, you know, a sketch that is you know, supposed to be you know, funny and humorous to sort of like open the show and have this big live from New York moment, then go into something that's completely divergent from that. So I'm curious from the panel if anybody has a strong opinion on that either
3: way, because I know it's probably something a lot of our listeners think about. Uh, Anybody want to take it? I like the way that they did it. I like that they kind of jumped out of the joke to say it um, as opposed to completely breaking down the sketch. Um, I think if they completely broke down this, I feel like they either had to just open up with a cold open that is completely serious and about that topic or do it the way they did it. I think if they did a entire cold open and then had Keenan face the camera and talk about it, it would have felt like really like ham-fisted in there. And it would have felt like, are they doing this for the right reasons? I think giving Keenan that opportunity to kind of uh, bring notice to it, shine a spotlight on it, but still in a way, make it sound like a joke that's in the sketch, uh, was kind of stronger than doing it any other way. Kalina?
0: I think that SNL has always been pretty good at handling delicate moments that may happen in the world, you know, as they're prepping their week, whether they were really, really big events that were maybe timed at the beginning of their seasons, or whether it was just something that happened during the week. And I think kind of going off what Haskell said, if it was during update, I feel like it might feel a little Forced or a little forgotten or a little organized, maybe is the right word. Like it was really just planned out, like you're almost checking a box. And I feel like it's much more organic. There's a lot more sincerity when it happens in the beginning. And then, kind of, you know, what Lauren talks about when this issue gets brought up to him is like, our job is to make people laugh. Our job is to make people be able to find the funny, even in the dark situation. So I think acknowledging it in the beginning and then proceeding with the show, where then hopefully people who have that on their mind and then try to find some relief from it is probably the best way to handle it.
2: Interesting. I mean, Rich, I know you've watched the show for a long time, so any uh, two cents on it?
1: Only, and I think you guys know this. It's it's weird to take it for granted that they have that they would even do this. I mean, there was for you know decades that SNL was 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 notoriously apolitical, even in the most extreme circumstances. So to you know, I, I think Keenan speaks for the show when he says that, and I think that they're allowing that that now the show has a point of view, which I really like. What I liked about it is as as you guys had said is all you know. One is you know the he's taking a serious moment, but it is a con- Commentary on what we just saw, because it wasn't like we did the Southwest Airlines sketch, hey, we're going to take a moment to talk about this horrible thing. It was a bit of a commentary on why are we all focused on these classified documents when things like this are going on? So it was a nice bridge. For me, what I think is one of the most important questions, and I think they answered it successfully, is will bringing it up at the end of the cold open undercut the host monologue. Are you doing disservice to the host who has to come out and now make jokes? And I think that the way they did it was just light enough in the amount of time and focus that it's still during then the opening credits, we all emotionally reset and they didn't didn't undercut Michael B. Jordan that we all were coming from a down place. So I think with all those pieces, it worked really well.
2: For sure. And, uh, you know, I just want to reiterate that point to our listeners that, you know, as people who love the show and analyze it, we're not debating whether or not SNL should have done something to address these issues. I think that if you are a, a you know, I, I, Rich is totally right. For years, for decades, SNL remained completely like dead middle across the board on whether it was political issues or, you know, just life issues in general. It was just a sketch comedy show. And I think that has changed over the last decade for, for better or for worse. And and I think, you know, we have to accept that that's the way that. Live is and that as cast members on the show, these cast members will now feel like they have that platform to be able to discuss the things that are important. So it is, you know, we'd like to joke around about SNL being a little bit of a reality show. Well, the truth is, is that, you know, that, that is, that shines through in these moments. So, um, you know, it just felt like it was good to discuss, especially on a round table from a production perspective. All right, let's get into the sketches from this episode. And there are lots of them that we could talk about this particular week. But uh, Rich, you know, you're back on the roundtable for the first time in a while. So I think it would be appropriate to start with you here. So what sketch would you like us to talk
3: about?
1: You know, there were a lot of really fun sketches. I wanted to talk about the first sketch after the monologue, the roller coaster sketch, because it was such a welcome break from a sort of, uh, you know, in format for Saturday Night Live. You know, this is the, you know, the 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 morning uh, news where we have our anchor that is, uh, you know, frozen in the face of someone coming down a roller coaster. Uh, and we see, you know, Sarah Sherman in this incredible makeup job incredible makeup job done by the cast, uh, done by the crew. You know, uh, probably one of the reasons you needed to have it early is you probably couldn't have her in any sketch leading up to this, although they did get Michael B. Jordan into the same thing, having had him just do the monologue. So imagine that he was in the monologue, and just a few minutes later, he has all of this makeup. So really great stuff done. Uh, I just thought this was so fun and and so different. Not only do we see what Star Powers Sarah Sherman has, has, but we're also allowing Saturday Night Live to do something it rarely does, which is a non-verbal comedy sketch. There were very few hard jokes, verbal written jokes that killed. It was all about the visuals and the escalation of the visuals. And I love to see them, and obviously very influenced by Sarah Sherman and her style of comedy that she brought to the show. But instead of making Sarah fit into the show, we're seeing the show expand to increase her style of comedy, which I thought was just wonderful.
2: Yeah. Does anybody, uh, I was trying to watch Louis Zakarian's uh, Instagram stories, who does all the makeup for this. I was trying to figure out like, what actually did they do
3: with the mouse here? Like, did they put a prosthetic to like open up their mouth further or was it like a mouth in a mouth? Like, how does that work? I thought that was just one of those things from that game. Like, what's that game where you use the mouth in peace? There's a game where that, that has that, where you put the mouthpiece in and you try to talk similar to that okay. people have to guess what you're saying and it looked very similar I'll, I'll have to look up and figure out what the game is but it just looked like it was a one of those plastic pieces that goes and widens the mouth
0: i think it was a combination i th- I think she had an insert to widen her grin but then i think there was definitely a like prosthetic that extended her mouth out a little probably yes. with latex covering on it
1: yeah i agree yeah
2: and again, like we're talking about a live sketch comedy show, like she's doing this live in front of millions of people, and still managing to like get her lines out, and like you know, not 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 in the best way. <laughs> like, uh, let me play this uh, this from Sarah, like a little bit into how she was talking.
0: Yeah, this is a complex line, with almost as many <laughs> twists and turns as my roller coaster ride. No hell.
2: Yeah, as she's like shoving food and drinks in her mouth, like this was so much fun. I mean, the fact that we got the Sarah Sherman sketch up front was really interesting considering all the talk about her being coming a star over the last month or so. But uh, Kalina, how'd you feel about the roller coaster sketch?
0: I thought it was so funny. It was one of the sketch that got some of my highest praises because you guys know that I love when SNL is really over the top. That's when usually when I find it the funniest is when they just lean into the ridiculousness of whatever they're doing. Anytime there's something involved with food, I I don't know if I just have like the sense of humor of a five year old, but I always think it is so funny when people are spilling on themselves or just doing something that is obviously not functional and is not going to work. I also was just immediately so blown away by the hair and makeup team, the wardrobe team for coming up with something that looked so good on camera and stayed while they are on camera and stayed through the different gags they were doing. I also love a sketch that has, um, you know, great physical gags, kind of like Rich was saying, like, it wasn't so much the written jokes. It was just the fun visuals. And Sarah was a hundred percent, the person to lead that. And it was fun to see the host kind of getting in on like that level of ridiculousness right off the bat, that really got me excited to see what else he was going to do for the rest of the episode.
2: Yeah, lots of gagging in this sketch, for sure. But, uh, you know, this is, you know, one of the questions I did see, or I do have for you based on comments I did see, was this potentially too gross? Like, were there some people that were turned off by the fact that, like, the food was all over Michael B. Jordan's beard, perhaps? I mean, I go back to a very funny sketch that uh, I I believe it was in the late 90s, where they would do, like, the mama and baby bird thing, where you would, like, chew food and spit it in each other's mouths. Oh, yeah. Which, remember that sketch? Uh,
1: Vividly. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah.
2: a great Will Ferrell sketch. And, and you know, I never thought, like, I, it is gross. Like, I wouldn't want to participate in it. But, like, that was just a, a classic sketch. And I think, like, sometimes they can have fun with the food and stuff. But, uh, Haskell, I want to get your opinion on the sketch. But here's a take that I, I'd i love you to respond to. I don't think Sarah was the star of this sketch. I think it was Keenan. And you know why? Because I think that Keenan's responses, every single time Sarah couldn't get something across, were, like, Ideal Keenan Thompson, where he was playing like complete opposite and responsive. Let me just play you one of these lines, which makes me laugh every time. And I just thought this was so funny as I watched this a second, third time. But Keenan was great in this sketch. Here, listen to this.
0: Wow, Francine, you look nuts. <laughs>
2: Just the way he said nuts was so perfect. So I think he was a great opposite, actually, of Sarah. And if you didn't love the whole back and forth with the eating, he was there to sort of bring the sketch all together. Curious, your thoughts about that from a structural perspective.
3: I'm glad you brought it up because that's sort of what I was thinking. Because when I saw the sketch, it's obviously the visuals are amazing of it. And as it was like happening, I I uh, I kept thinking about um, the Chappelle episode in My Potato Hole and how that. Uh, sketch sort of uh, went against our expectations because we thought we were getting the the, the normal like something happens from one of the correspondents we go back to the desk one person wants to talk about it and then the other anchor is like stopping them and trying to keep the show going and I enjoyed that they just kind of let Keenan be instead like there's definitely either other people if they had other people in the part or if this was a different sketch Keenan doesn't get those lines out they cut him off and that's part of the joke, which can be funny, I guess. You know, it, it's definitely worked for years, but I like that they kind of just like let him go at it. And it, it did help build that sketch a little bit. Um, in terms of it being gross, I, I don't know. In real time, I didn't think it was like overly gross. And then looking at the stills on Twitter that people were posting, that's when I went back and was like, oh, wow. Like, I don't think I realized that it got that like gross with it and i give michael b jordan uh and sarah sherman credit sarah sherman was awesome i love that she delivered a lot of people would have would get flack for just kind of playing themselves for sarah it works because it was so nonverbal. i loved that you couldn't understand her but she has this way of ramping up at the end of her lines that even her her ramp ups are so like up there that even with that prosthetic or whatever in her mouth, you could still understand the last word that she was saying, and that built the humor. And just to close that loop for our listeners, make sure you Google Speak Out. That's the board game. If you look that up, you'll find a box, and on the front of the box, it looks like three or four people that got stuck on a roller coaster. So if you want to remake the sketch, look up that game.
2: Yeah, as, as Keenan
0: said. She got stuck on a runaway roller coaster going 150 miles an hour for 19 hours straight.
2: Yeah, very well done. Rich, I want to give you last word on this sketch and my point about Keenan Thompson, because I, I do think there is an alternate world where we see a morning talk show where everybody was stuck on the roller coaster and we get everybody with their mouths like that, but they instead structure it in a way where you have normal people, quote unquote normal in the sketch, responding to the crazies. So does that elevate the sketch for you?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. And e- even in the, in one of the sketches that was not my favorite tonight, which was the uh, the video game uh, sound recording. It was actually Andrew Dismukes as the straight man that I think had some of the funniest lines because it was the reactions too. So uh, you know we always love that if we just go to as they say go to Crazy Town where everybody's crazy, then we're sort of looking in. But when you have Keenan having that reaction, we're with him on that. So yeah, and it didn't. You know, I would say for me, unlike uh, Kalina, I know. that. I have the sense of humor of a five-year-old so for me it it worked and I'm very sensitive to the gross stuff and this walked the line it went right up to the line I think it leaned over the line and threw some spaghetti in it and then came back again but that's when I go we're not watching Saturday night we're watching Saturday night live and that's when those when you go I don't know how far they're going to take the gross out where if this was mad tv or a hundred other pre-taped shows we would or have a sense of how far they're going to go but on live tv you never know that's what made it so fun
2: 100 percent, couldn't have said it better so haskell i'm going to send it over to you for the sketch that you want to talk about
3: all right i mean if you've been on twitter if you've been on the internet there there's one sketch that's kind of jumping around it's 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 making the rounds and when you watch certain snl sketches you know in like 30 seconds you're like this is going to be the one this is going to be the viral sketch of the week uh for this week it was the State Farm sketch. The second that you saw Michael B. or the second I saw Michael B. Jordan playing Jake from State Farm, I said, this is gonna be all over the internet tomorrow. Uh and I believe uh, John, you might have to double check this for me. It's a Streeter and Mikey sketch. So it it follows a lot of beats that I think we're familiar with. Uh, in terms of all right, this character's showing up, he's gonna take over the the house. Uh, beats that we've seen before with these sort of characters or these sort of parodies. But there's a few there's a few moments uh, in that sketch that are really great. The first is how, like, when, when Michael B. Jordan as Jake from State Farm is being really, really, like, intimidating, that they subtly put all the information back on the board like it's a commercial was great. I loved that. Uh, the ending is phenomenal. There's something about, like, I loved whenever Muppets would be on, when characters would play, when cast members would play Muppets because I loved seeing like- Not how when Muppets were cast members? Not when Muppets were cast members. Nobody liked that. Uh, but when cast members played Muppets, I always liked being like, what would they look like? And I loved that quick pan around and being like, oh, it's the guy from Liberty Mutual. That's what he would look like. And they, they had like, you know, it was just really good. But my favorite thing about that sketch is is that ending, that false ending? And SNL's done that before, admittedly, where it turns out to be an ad for something else. But one of the things that I think SNL has become super reliant on that I'm glad that they didn't do now is that when they they show you the, the the logo or the end of the commercial, and then the 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 tagline or the what the slogan is like explaining the sketch. So like, I'm really glad it didn't just go like State Farm, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there to take over your family, blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, Liberty Mutual, will save you from State. Like, I'm really glad they didn't double back to explain that sketch. They just kind of let it end with, I I guess, a bit of a happy ending. Uh, But overall, it's a deserving sketch to be kind of going viral the way it is over the last couple of days.
2: Yeah, for sure. And I think that uh, I agree with all your points from a sketch perspective. But I think that this was so great, because it was a mini movie, right? Like it was there was a whole storyline, there was a beginning, middle and end, and an arc here that happens over such a short period of time. And, you know, the actors in the movie were casted so well, right? You put the right people in the right role roles which is like Mikey Day is played this role before on Saturday Night Live where he just devolves into you know like losing his family because he's like the weak man and then you have Heidi Gardner who plays the most brilliant uh, emotional uh, housewife who gets overtaken by this Jake from State Farm and it was just for me like it was the acting in here that was so like Uh, even like, I would say even beyond SNL classic standards that I think just added to the brilliance of this particular sketch. So we'd love to get uh, your thoughts on it. Kalina, I'll start with you.
0: Yeah, immediately same thing. I was like, oh, this is going to be the one. I always rank on like what I anticipate for the rewatchability of a sketch to be. And that immediately was like, oh, this will go in my rotation of sketches. I would want to show somebody when i'm trying to get them to start watching snl or when i just feel like, you know, kind of going through a little playlist i loved i was cackling when michael started like whispering lines from the commercial into mikey day's ear i also love the the layout of certain sketches where things are just getting progressively like worse and worse and worse and worse and, worse, and you are just watching certain characters just kind of spiral um i have to admit i and give her credit I have come around so much for Heidi over the last couple of years where I just wasn't like, she wasn't the strongest contender for me for a while. And she has impressed me so much, especially this past um, season. And I have really enjoyed not only her range, but kind of like the specific tones that she could bring to certain sketches. I thought it was really funny. And I wrote in my notes, it's giving papyrus, like my favorite sketch with Ryan Gosling. It just kind of had that same sort of like, this is ridiculous, I love it, I wanna keep watching this. Um, yeah, I, I no other notes, I, I loved it.
2: Yeah. And the thing about Heidi, obviously, is that like she didn't always get those opportunities before this season to be able to show off because of the cast members who stayed for so long. But, you know, to your point, Kalina, about you know some of the acting in this sketch, I mean, I also would be remiss uh, not to bring up Michael B. Jordan, who I think actually did a very good job because there was so much passive aggressiveness you brought up the line where he's you know he's still talking about playing uh you know whispering things you know that have to do with state farm and let me play this for you which there's something in this which i think is subtle but so brilliant
1: state farms rate match even if you do find cheaper coverage we'll just
3: match it
2: You hear that at the end? It's the kiss on the forehead. And that to me is so smart and brilliant because he's saying everything with just a kiss, which is like, I'm taking over your family, but he just kisses him on the back of the head. And I I loved every minute of that. Rich, how do you feel about this pre tape
1: Yes, yes, yes. Yes to everything everybody has said. Huge shout out to Heidi. Playing the subtlety gave me vibes, and I say this as a huge compliment, as of Vanessa Bayer, who I remember being queen of the pre-tapes, being able to play small, subtle, and then get large. Uh, You know, A sketch where I think we all knew where the sketch was going within the first minute, and yet they still executed. What I will say, to add to what everyone's saying, what I love about it, and what I love when SNL does more broadly, if we step back for a second and look at the roller coaster sketch, in that sketch, the host, Michael B. Jordan, could have been anyone. And notice when we talked about the roller coaster sketch, we never mentioned Michael B. Jordan because it could have been anyone. What I like is when we bring in a host that is not a comedian, that's not an improv person, that's not an alumni, that is maybe the physicality is different, the age is different, a scene, you know, someone who's maybe, you know, 60 years old, someone who's, you know, in his case, much more buff and much more confident and then a lot of the other cast members that they write to the difference of the host instead of trying to fit the host into the SNL box. So this sketch works because we have this very we've got, you know, guy from Black Panther, we've got, you know, this guy who can play this role in a way that no one else could in the cast, and we're using that to our advantage instead of trying to fit him into roles where it doesn't matter. And so I I like sketches like this so much, and I hope that we see more of these through, through the season where we're playing to the advantages instead of just, well, let's have him be one of the towel boys in the in the cabana sketch, where it's kind of irrelevant that it's Michael B. Jordan. But when he's the water guy in the male uh, confidence sketch, you're playing to the advantage of the person you brought to play with you. And for me, that made this sketch so strong.
2: Well, the thing that's most fascinating about this, and this was a discussion that we had very briefly on Saturday and on some of the roundtables this season, is that there is nobody in the cast like Michael B. Jordan at this point. There's nobody who is there who could play that sort of steal your wife role. And maybe, like uh, I would say, like it's it's been probably been a while since we've had that in the cast. Maybe, perhaps Alex Moffat was that a little bit over the last few years. Like he could play that like somewhat, but still, even I know Kalina loves Alex, but uh, you know, besides, besides that, I mean, you saw it last year when Jason Sudeikis comes who could totally pull that off. I mean, they end up, you know, performing this great live sketch, the teacher, uh, parent-teacher conference. They were they able to pull off similar vibes. So I think that the thing to watch now is like going into next season is do they potentially look to add a cast member who has that alpha energy? Or if not... Next time we have a host that has the alpha energy of a Michael B. Jordan, are we going to look to see if we're going to get similar sketches like this? Because it almost feels like some of the betas in the cast that I don't, maybe they're not this way in real life, but the way that they play on the show uh, thrive in these roles, because then they get to bring
3: in someone who gets to push them in that way. Do you guys think Michael Longfellow grows into that though? Cause I do think he has a little more of that, like, I don't give an F attitude that some of some of the other cast members don't have that any he shows that a little bit on weekend update I think he could grow into that role a little bit
1: I'm going to disagree with Haskell I like Michael but I do think that there's a na- there's a confidence and there's a swagger that rarely the I'll say man, for the purposes of this, rarely does a young guy with that confidence, that physicality decide, I'm going to devote myself to improv classes, or I'm going to go to open mics and eat crap for a year. I, I don't think you see as many people that have not only the attitude, but the physicality. I would say Sudeikis is one of the few people I think of.
3: Go back and watch early Sudeikis. I guarantee no, you. Sudeik- no, Sudeikis. Sudeikis. Was- yeah. He grew into it, though. He did not show up as that guy. But he has the
1: physicality. He always had the physicality.
3: I disagree. I think if you go back and watch early featured player Sudeikis, if I made that same comment about Sudeikis, I'd be getting the same reaction. Okay. I think you guys. I think you guys are thinking Ted Lasso sedekas. You're thinking late SNL sedekas. You're thinking rom com You're not thinking rookie year sedekas. But like he, was year he was always a good looking
1: guy. He was always a. He was always taller than other cast members. He was always good looking. He always had a. No, he may not have carried himself.
3: Notoriously short, Michael Longfellow. You're right. Yeah. All
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> Clea. I was gonna chime in, but I think y'all covered it. <laughs>
2: well well well, you know what just to like uh just jump back into this for a second because this i think this is probably the best part of our podcast so far is that um you know the the question is does snl want to have somebody like this on the cast like are they looking for that because a lot of these people like i'm not saying jason sudeikis is but i'm saying there are a lot of these people in the past turned out to be problematic you know are a problematic face because they they end up saying things because they
3: feel like they have carte blanche to be able to pull this off as an alpha I don't know if you can do this sketch every week. Like I don't know if you can have that character every week. Eventually that guy in comedy becomes kind of like nobody wants to root for that guy every week. And there has to be a sense of like likability that week in and week out. So I don't know. Like Rich said, like that guy isn't in comedy. For a reason. So it's really tough to do that every week. So even if they wanted that, that person, I don't know if you go out and find them. And I don't know how long they last.
1: Yeah, the prototype of this is Belushi. I mean, this was even though he didn't have the size, I mean, Belushi had that attitude, he could pull off that because he was a jerk. He really was a jerk in real life. And I like that the show feels more like a family and less like a sports team. And I think there were years where SNL was a sports team and it was made the best person win and they didn't lift each other up. And I feel like the vibe of the show, unless it's just great marketing, feels like it's a family. And I don't know that there's a necessarily a seat for that person if they're like that in real life on the show as much anymore.
0: I th- I think SNL needs someone in that cast, if not other than they just have that in their toolbox, because then the alternative, I agree you don't necessarily need that sketch every week, but then the alternative is you have a stack of approved sketches just waiting for the right host to come along, and I feel like it would just make more sense to just have that person who could be, you know, kind of indispensable, could be used. The only problem I have with Longfellow, I- I'm still not, like, fully impressed with it not unimpressed but i'm like he still has a bit more traction to gain with me personally this is somewhat superficial but it's television so i think it's applicable i think for that type of person to work like that type of character to work that guy also has to be able to blend in with a crowd like they can't be too handsome or have features that are like too strong and make that face so attached to that character And Longfellow, I think, just has really like strong defining features about his appearance that I don't know if he could be as fluid doing that and then not either getting typecast or not getting to do other roles that he would want to on the show.
2: All right, well, you hear that, Lauren? We're looking for something very specific for next season. Someone who is good-looking. Is it you? <laughs> good-looking, good but not too good-looking. Swagger, but not an asshole. <laughs> we got we got to find that. So um, this will be fun, because I, I think we're going to continue to have this conversation a lot.
1: You know who you know who was that that we just lost unfortunately that could play both sides so well it was Chris Red. Chris could be a darling okay. and a teddy bear and then he could play menacing and you bought it and it's a shame that he's he's no longer on the cast.
2: Interesting. Yeah, that's for sure. And look, I I see some people in our chat talking about that these people are out there. So it will be very fascinating to see how SNL ends up addressing something that and and I think you know what the best part is, is like when you bring in hosts that bring something different to the cast, it he shows where there are potential weaknesses and where there are holes to fill. And I talked about this in a different way with Brennan Gleason's episode earlier this season where I felt like the old guy comes in and plays something completely different that they never had. And that's why I said a lot of his sketches worked for me because he was fulfilling a role that the cast never gets to play. And I think you know, that's, that's the benefit of potentially hiring an older cast member. So here we're talking about somebody, uh, a, a different role, a different archetype, but that is something else that SNL may consider looking for down the road. All right. uh, That was fun. Uh, Let's talk about the next sketch we want to get into. And Kalina, I'm going to send it over to you for that one.
0: I loved the King's Brothers Toyota sketch. I thought that was just I don't know if it's just because I spent half my life in Texas. And so those type of like, car commercials are so deeply ingrained in such a specific part of my brain, that that's why it spoke to me so much. I found that hysterical. I also thought it was um, really fun to see Andrew in a bit more of like a a leading role um, in that sense. I also love when SNL successfully takes what is going to be kind of like a hitting you over the head joke, like a joke that they will keep making that's really repetitive, but they do it in a way that's funny every time. And for me, that joke was either about how long the line was at Raising Cane's or like you have to go left because you can't go right or, or vice versa. I don't know why, like after two or three times, maybe that line shouldn't have been funny to me, but the fact that they couldn't stop thinking about anything else, they couldn't even focus on trying to advertise the cars they had available, and that eventually kind of spirals into the mania of like, we're literally stuck here, we cannot leave the lot, the line at Canes is so long. Um, I don't know. I thought it was fun. Michael was fine to be thrown into it. I think that would kind of speak to Rich's earlier point that that could have been anybody, but they needed to remind everybody who's hosting the show. And so we kind of threw him in there. Um, But I thought it also brought such a great energy. It was like a great energy pickup for the second half of the show. Because sometimes SNL has a tendency to kind of peak in the beginning. And have a slow decline, especially post-update sometimes I notice that happens. So to me, that was just like a nice reviver to get me ready for the rest of the episode.
2: Yeah, I I agree. I mean, I think that obviously Andrew and JJ here were having so much fun and that you know radiated through the screen that you could just imagine them standing in front of this green screen in the studio and it's basically like a giant workout for them as they're just practicing yelling these lines at the camera and being so passionate about the stupidest thing and that's why this sketch works i mean uh andrew Dismukes here yelling this was so hilarious to me
0: i now speak directly to the coward
3: hugo Gallegos
2: like the fact that he can get his voice there is so funny. I love Andrew so much. I'm so happy he got this and like look at J.A.J. having a time of his life playing a non-politician. Rich, what do you think of King brothers Toyota?
1: Oh, what a great 10 to 1. Great energy, great and as you guys said, great writing, great. It was yelling and sync and this remember on live TV, we would have lost All of the energy of the sketch if one of them screwed up one of the lines they really in order to hit it this hard they needed to be pretty much perfect and they were so I really love that energy I love that as Kalina said even growing up on Long Island I've seen this car commercial a million times so it's really fun I got a great vibe I love one of my favorite things on the show is when you see two cast members that I've always associated separately together and see the magic and go oh this reminded me me of the first time I remember seeing Kate and Aidy uh, and, um, Bryant doing a sketch together and going, oh, look at the way that they complement, but they're not exactly the same.
2: And they never separated again.
1: And and I could see this being a nice pairing that we see in in other sketches. So I agree. Same thing, Kalina said about about Michael B. I did really like the fact that he nor the uh, the nor the cast felt that they had to put him in more because he was the host. We got just a little a little bit come in pepper and then get out catch like so so that worked well. I thought this was a really fun ten to one sketch.
2: That was so good, Haskell. Did you enjoy this one, King Brothers Iota?
3: Yeah, I loved Michael B. Jordan, and it, it kind of reminds me a lot of uh, Will Arnett's guest spot on The Office when he was interviewing to be manager, and they say, "Can you tell us the plan?" And he goes, uh, "I'll give you part of the plan. Color code said documents." And you know, it's like it's sort of that same sort of humor. I enjoyed that. Um, I I really love, although I said earlier, I don't like the trope of the tagline coming in and explaining. the sketch was i am kind of a sucker for um you know the over explaining of small details like kalina said that like that they have to keep going back to we're gonna say this again you gotta get in the left lane like i really love that um that sort of those sorts of jokes were a lot of the the only jokes that hit for me in the californians and that was sort of the the joke of the californians over explaining uh, direction. So I really enjoyed that. But one of the really small things, and I'm really glad that you played that uh, Hugo Gallegos uh, line, because as as a you know I'm a real big fan of silly comedy. But as a stand up, I'm really I like to study sort of the humor of words and you know the economy of words. And it, a lot of times it, SNL is is just full of just funny names. Like they'll name somebody Pete Butt. And you're like, ah, it's funny, it's laughing. But that's really silly. But I love getting into like the dichotomy of uh, alliteration and doubling up on those Gs is what makes that kind of a funny uh, name. And although it is a, it's, you know, kind of a real name, uh, it that building it that way and using that repetition of it is what uh, allows dismutes to perform it in such a funny way. So I enjoy that they did that. Love to see that a little bit more, especially from Dismutes. Who is Team Haskell, by the way, on the SNL Superfans, uh, SNL Fantasy team?
2: yeah definitely so points for Haskell but can I uh, bring up a sketch comparison that I think is interesting to talk about when comparing uh, King Brothers Toyota which is the Longhorn Steakhouse sketch this was a sketch that happened last year in the Ariana Debose episode it was a 10 to 1 sketch I believe they actually tried to do a second one and got caught at dress at some point in the spring but this was an Andrew Dismukes and James Austin Johnson sketch uh, in the kitchen uh, Heidi Gardner was in this one as well Alex Moffitt also and Ariana Debose, and they were basically uh, there was a lot of uh tropes that were typical of the local area your typical steakhouse there and a lot of like southern culture stuff and i didn't really care for that sketch and i was sort of thinking about like the differences between that sketch and this sketch and i think that the main difference is like i think you can go local a little bit with some of your ideas i think of um Uh, Maine Justice is a great sketch that happened about 10 years ago that was like pretty funny talking about the differences between New Orleans and Maine but I think what the main thing you have to do when you write one of these sketches and it's really the exact same writers but in a completely different location and different vibe is that they were able to write this sketch in a way that you didn't have to be from Texas to be able to understand it you knew that this was like Texas tropes but they weren't like talking in a a specific uh, you know way that was only like you would only get it if you live nearby or making references that I think were only specific there that like if me up in Canada wouldn't understand, like this felt, though it felt local, it also felt like something that could apply anywhere. And I think that was sort of what made it click a little bit more. Rich, any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I would also say, comparatively, this had a very clear game. It had a very clear through line. You have to make a hard left or you're not going to be able to get there. And like, so like, you know, you could understand from the characters in this sketch, their perspective was very, very clear. They're getting screwed by the new local restaurant. So they're making a commercial to try to. So that clarity I thought heightened all of the very, very silly jokes and alliteration and voices because We had sort of like we were with them through it. Where in the Ariana Bose, it was sort of a bit of a fun hodgepodge. But I, I, for I agree with you, it didn't work for me as much because it was it was a bit of a sample platter without kind of a very clear narrative.
2: Fair enough. All right, let's get to the sketch that I want to talk about tonight. And we're going to go right ahead to the next sketch of the night, our final sketch of the night, which was something called Falling Down. And, uh, you know, this this could have been SNL Digital Short popped up because, you know, we always talk about Andrew Dismukes as Will Forte, potential vibes. We talked about how he admires and loves Will Forte. And, and, and I love that because I love seeing the Will Forte tree passed down to this generation. But this was Andrew Dismukes' As Andy Samberg, who is basically following around Michael B. Jordan as Michael B. Jordan continues to fall down. And he just shows up. He's always there when you didn't want him to be saying uh, this. You okay there, bud? <laughs> that, that to me, is such an Andy Samberg line. Cons- consistently there, you okay there, bud? Uh, we get the fun uh, dichotomy between, you know, uh, then Bowen and Sarah being like, you need to stop with this. And then uh, Andrew, on a dime, turns from, uh, you know, compassionate to Michael B. Jordan and kind of weird and creepy to, like, full-on angry. We get to see all the emotions where he says this. Nobody
3: told me that. You can't get mad at me for something I didn't know.
2: And I thought this was so funny. Uh, this is so funny to me. And then uh, and then it gets weird, too. I mean, I, first of all, you know, I can't say enough about how much I enjoy getting to see them in Lauren's office, walking down the different hallways. Like, that is uh, complete fan service for all of us. And then it turns into this uh, great thing where you have, um, you have Jenna, the backstage manager, calling for Michael B. Jordan. Where is he? Uh, because he's going to look for his friend, uh, Andrew Dismukes, who's uh, fallen away. And then it ends with this very silly moment. I'm falling.
0: Where are you? andrew i'm right here we're not falling we're flying
2: and i was like you know what i, I had a, i had such a good night watching the show and it ended on like a, ah uh, like finally they let andrew and mukes, no pun intended spread his wings on the show and what a night for him it was so uh loved every minute of that as we ended the night Haskell, what do you think of falling down
3: well, I, you know, I think most weeks the show should end on a live sketch. It just feels very SNL to wrap it up on a live sketch. But I feel like it, they don't I, – I do like every so often when they can squeeze in a pre-tape. Sometimes – like this week it kind of felt like the show ran maybe short and they were like, oh, we have just enough time to get this in if we need to. Not to say that's what happened. It's just what it feels like sometimes to get these pre-tapes in. Um, uh, definitely huge Andy Sandberg vibes. I also thought it felt a lot like um early, early like season thirty-nine, uh Beck Bennett and Kyle Mooney stuff, specifically thinking back to the I think it was I know was the phrase that kept being repeated in one of their one of their very, very early um sketches. And they kind of operated before all their stuff got cut, which it got cut like week after week after a while, but when they first started, they lived in this like pre-tape right at the end of the night uh situation. Um, the sketch itself, the first time I watched it was like, okay, like it's the last sketch we're repeating it. But the second time when I watched it, dude, Dismuk's, it's the repetition of that one line and the way he delivers it. Like, it seems really, really simple, but he nails it. And it's one of those sketches that I think I'll go back and watch year after year just to hear him deliver that one line so it was really good i'm glad they were able to squeeze that in because it does feel like maybe the episode runs long a minute somewhere else and they don't have time to run that so i'm glad they got it in
2: rich can you do a little bit of improv with me like i, I want to play the exercise with you of how does andrew Mukes, who let's be real was barely in the season of the show we had high expectations was barely in it end up with seven sketches randomly. On this particular episode, it's not like Michael B. Jordan's like his, well, maybe, maybe they are best friends now, but from the whole thing, but like, it's not like they're best friends before the episode. And how does Andrew Smeeks end up in seven sketches, the most in his entire career? Does he walk into Lauren Michaels office and, and begs?
1: This is the night that you're that you're dreaming of. I mean, this is this is that that magic night. Because as I said, in some of the sketches he was, you know, he wrote him. He was the star. But in other sketches, you know, he was the straight man, and yet still was one of the most memorable pieces. So I just think this aligned to all of his skills. You know, so I think it was, as far as the night goes, that was just such a such a great night for him and for Heidi. Even though we haven't talked about most of the sketches that Heidi did, but I thought she also had a great night so it was great to see the flexibility of the cast here can i ask you how you think how
2: do you think that happens though like how does it happen where just all of a sudden we have a breakout night for somebody who's not breaking out do you think it has to do sometimes with the host that's brought in and that just something somewhere they click together or perhaps just maybe like they just had a good week in terms of writing
1: you know I think it's a little bit of both I mean certainly you know we know that the host has a big say in which of the sketches from the Wednesday read through get picked so it could just be that Michael just thought that Andrew's really funny I mean they're all really funny but it could have been that he just really lined up with the sketches that Dismukes was in of like yeah these are the sketches I want to do I want to this is what I want my thumbprint on my first SNL to be so I think maybe he just got you know heavily featured based on that and having just a good a good week of writing i just think that he you know this was there was a lot of good to to this week
2: for sure and i mean michael b jordan didn't even really know his name as you can hear in this pre-tape where he says yes i thought i thought this was interesting
1: i pushed away my best friend at the show andrew Desmo. fantastic
2: yeah (laughs) yeah that's really good kalina how did you feel about this pre-tape
0: I gotta say, listening to you guys, you really changed my mind on it. For for reference, my only note on this sketch was, he's just falling, this is not funny. That's all I wrote in the note initially. Maybe I was just tired, or maybe I was not giving it- Falling into our hearts, (laughs) maybe I was not giving it the the thoughtfulness or watchful eyes that you guys were. And it's kind of like, typecast against me because like for example i follow an instagram page that's just videos of children falling down i think that is hysterical (laughs) as long as they're not getting hurt obviously it's just them like simply falling so you would think that a sketch of someone just falling would be like right up my wheelhouse but for some reason i was just like is this all it's gonna be is it not going to really build up to anything so i would like to initially my submitted opinion was that i didn't think it was funny I would like to formally retract that and say that when we are finished with this show tonight, I'm going to go back and rewatch it with the perspective that the three of you have given me. And I imagine I would end up much closer to your guys' side than I was before.
1: Well, you know, I'll back you up on this, Kalina, because I didn't say for this particular sketch, I did not love at all. I actually did not like. The first half of the sketch, and even rewatching it, the first half of 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 him falling down and Andrew saying the different line over and over again in a montage, hard pass for me. I did not find it clever. I didn't think it was interesting. And when it started, I was like, "Why is this pre taped so late in the show?" You would have thought this would have been right after update. And in that montage, I was like, "Oh, it's because this is not a good sketch." But it turned for me when you had Bowen and Sarah in the room confronting him and we just broke that pattern of the game and we turned it into something else and then it absolutely won me over by the end. But even in re-watching, knowing how much I liked the, the second half, it did not make the first half funnier to me. I didn't think the first half necessarily worked. I love that it did for you guys. But it was the necessary to get us to the second half, which I thought had so much funny. What was, I wish I wrote it down his line about like you fall me me see me no see or something like like just that the absurdity that we got to when with the, the interplay was really really fun
2: yeah, I was gonna say, uh, Rich. Uh, you okay there, Bud? <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> who hurt you? Um,
2: but uh, just, you know, just just to uh, go back to this, uh, you know, just for for science purposes, Kalina, what was that uh, account that you check out every now and then? <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, okay, I will find it while you are like saying the next sentence, and I will share it with you. The important thing is they never get hurt. Okay, it's sure. just them like cooking a tumble yeah. at the playground.
2: Got it. Wink, got it. wink. Right. Uh huh. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, Haskell, uh, are there any other moments from the night that you think you would like us to talk about tonight?
3: I just, uh, we have to talk about that uh, Southwest uh, pre-tape really quickly. That was really biting. I thought that was really good writing. Uh, Just, it's a lot of the jokes, a, a lot of making fun of the airlines is very obvious. Um, But it did bring me back to like kind of a generation ago of the show. It's crazy to say a generation ago now. But, you know, in the early 2010s, late 2000s, where they could do something obvious like this and still make it very biting, um, I thought there was a lot of just sharp joke telling in there. Again, it wasn't a very dynamic sketch, but a lot of sharp jokes in there that I really enjoyed. And I think it's one of those sketches that you're going to see pop up from time to time, because every time somebody is pissed off with an airline, people are going to send them this sketch. Rich, any quick thoughts on Southwest?
1: Yeah, I actually also, I really liked it. I know that in the in the hot take show, there was a, a feeling that maybe it was a week too late. I disagree. I think that if it was last week, it would have been one of 87 jokes about Southwest. I think having a week to breathe, it was so fun. Now, keep in mind, I am such the target audience. I used to own an IBM ThinkPad with a little red nub in the center. So this was really, really jokes for me. I think
2: it's nipple, by the way.
1: I, I will let you them say that i we called it a nub, so i'm going to be politically correct uh, so uh yeah i thought this was really everything about this was really fun i thought it was uh, also one of the really good pre-tapes sure
2: so kalina do you want to give your thoughts on that or give us the handle of the account of the kids falling down
0: okay so the worst thing about those instagram handles after i just said kids don't get hurt the instagram handle is literally just called kids getting hurt
2: <laughs> oh okay no we do not support we do not support this so thank you <laughs> none of that
0: <laughs> oh no southwest i i enjoyed um i really like i wrote down the line or i wrote down how luggage being separated by color so it was the customer's fault that part really got to me so great i just i just love kind of like the the blame shifting and the hands off like mm, i don't know canceled flights i don't know anything about that That the customers must have done that that sort of um approach to situations like that, I always find pretty funny. So that was that was a good one of the night for me as
1: well.
2: All right, Rich, any other moments from the night that you would like us to talk about?
1: Uh, just a quick shout out to the monologue and 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 the game of the monologue with with the female cast members. I love seeing Punky actually heighten and be sort of the button to the to the running joke of the of the. Or, you know, I mean, I know Ego was sort of the last with the with the with the wedding dress. Or I don't remember what the order was, but I thought Punky was just super strong. A great That's way awesome. to use her, you know, being herself instead of fitting her into another character. Uh, but I thought the monologue a great combination of personal about Michael B. Jordan michael making fun of himself and then a very classic kind of bachelor uh you know kind of sketch that i thought worked on all fronts so that was a really w- good way to kick off the show
2: here is that line from punky i'm punky be curious <laughs> yeah and she was so good with the rug rubbing hand on
1: it. and even when she said like even vegans get a cheat day and he's like no they don't i just thought it was all re- all really really fun
2: yeah yeah that's for sure uh kalina what about you any other moments from the episode that you would like us to talk about
0: I just want to give a shout out again to Andrew, who I think this might segue into our um, MVP of the night section. In the Street Fighter sketch, he really cracked me up. So I think great. that 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 sketch as a whole was like maybe fine. I mean, again, I just enjoyed uh, seeing Bowen kind of being ridiculous and having a good time. But cutting back to Andrew, who's just getting progressively like more and more frustrated. And I think at one point he yells the line this isn't an app, it's a video game or something like that. It just just had me cracking up. So I think that was a bit of an underrated sketch
1: for the night. Yeah, for sure. Like you, I didn't love the sketch, but he was a standout. That was super fun. I love when the straight man is the funny person. I think that sometimes is, is such a win.
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll just say, like, my two cents on that is, like, I actually think that Bowen was really great in this sketch. Uh, I, for me, at least, like, Andrew was okay. But I think uh, Andrew had other moments of the night I really liked. But I thought, like, Bowen had some really
1: funny lines in that sketch.
2: I forgot to ask. What are your
3: pronouns?
1: I thought Bowen was very funny. My issue was just once the sketch started, I knew exactly what was going to happen. And I don't know that it ever got so clever that it beat my expectation of what I thought was going to happen, where DisMuke's reactions did. But I agree, Bowen was very good. That's fair, that's fair. Oh, you went
2: to Iraq? Where did you stay? (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, I'll say for the... (laughs) we're like okay so for me the other thing i just want to bring up from this particular episode and i think rich touched on it a little bit earlier but uh there were some tent poles for this episode basically uh we're going to do mvp later but there's there's three stars really of this episode obviously we had that sarah sherman featured piece at the beginning but the two other stars of this episode were heidi gardner and andrew dismukes we talked about andrew a lot we didn't even get to the male confidence seminar but obviously he led that one um and then Heidi's moments of the night which I think were extremely impressive Uh, we covered a lot uh, you know earlier but you know her bringing back Angel, every boxers girlfriend huge. on Weekend update, like huge moment for her. And like, what a um, full circle moment to so basically like the, the trilogy of angel was all of like her breakout moments on the show prior to this. And then we get this few year break and now she is the star on the show and she's bringing back her old character, which I think is just like so fun. Uh, this line is just very classic. I'm taking the kiss of my sisters. Just, just a, an
3: all time line. Haskell, what do you think? And how often that doesn't happen. There's so many characters from so many longtime cast members that we like, are like bring them back. Like for years we asked Cecily and 80 to bring back girlfriend talk show when they never did. Like I literally kind of like jumped a little bit out of my seat when I realized that this is the character she was doing on update because we haven't seen it in a while. And it's set up so perfectly a guy who's one of his premier characters in his career as playing a boxer, like it had been so long since she played this character. It wasn't even on my radar. Like, Oh, they have Creed coming in to so that. She could do this character with. I love that. They, we don't, it, it doesn't happen enough, or maybe it, it's perfect that it doesn't happen enough. So we get moments like this, that a long time that a, a character we haven't seen in a while actually does come back and not in a sense of like for a goodbye or when they come back and host just, it's been, she's been on the cast. It's been a while. She brought it back and it was perfect.
2: I also think about like two a-holes like that's a at Kristen. I Wagon, thought the same thing. Yeah. That when it's
1: Sudeikis came, like- they never, oh, I love that so much. Yeah. I'll, I'll be a little bit of a contrarian to this point that is, you know, I love that character. That's when I first noticed Heidi. I don't know. It was like early couple, the first couple of episodes of she's a featured player. For me, as soon as she shows up, I know the end of the bet. because I know there's the only reason she's here is because Michael G. Board, Michael B. Jordan is there. So. I didn't enjoy the bits leading up to his showing up because I was waiting for him to show up. I actually wish they would have held this and had her do it another time where I didn't just see the ending coming. But that's just me. For sure.
2: Uh, and then I will just also say to the point about Heidi another moment of the night which I think is important is the party in Palm ring slash bachelorette sketch yes. where to me uh, that sketch wins over alone on Heidi's effort and like you talk about range from a cast member like the fact that she can go out do the State Farm bit go back to her character on Angel which is so different to this you know the stripper moments that you know she goes like uh, he,
0: made oh, okay. he made this he made this he made this.
2: Like that is so great. Like uh this one
0: three strippers for the parts of one.
2: But just just the range on her I think was really great. Um really and she, she also wrote that Bachelorette sketch, so uh just a very solid all around night for Heidi Gardner. So uh super impressed with her. We had some polls this week that we put out on social media, and every single week we do that on Monday morning. So if you want to get your points into the conversation on the Monday Night Roundtable, you can always send those in by answering our polls on Twitter or in our Instagram stories. And we had several questions this week. So first up, I wanted to know which pre-tape from this week was your favorite uh, class. Do we have any guesses of which, what the audience said? Anybody? Uh, Rich, what do you
1: think? I mean, it's got to be State Farm. I can't imagine it's anything but State Farm. They're all great, but that was so standout.
2: For sure, for sure. State Farm was by far the winner. I'm not even going to put up the results. State Farm was number one, falling down number two, Southwest number three this week. We also said, which has been your favorite Sarah Sherman moment so far this season? So we had a bunch of Sarah Sherman sketches, including eyes, including Jewish Elvis, including roller coasters. So really so many moments for her. She also had the great update piece, a couple of great update moments uh, this season it could not be more even across the board, like 33%, 33%, 33%. I mean, you just like people love all different types of Sarah Sherman. So for me, I also did not put together the graphic for that because I figured it's so even across the board. Might as well just tell the audience there. But isn't that, isn't that fascinating, Haskell? Just how like, like they're all seem to be winners or, or all losers if you don't like her.
3: No, they're all winners. Like she's, she's having a moment. She really is. And she's so dynamic that all of these sketches while they 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 are so so her, they're all so different as well, and I think that's like that kind of brings me back to a little bit of like the Lonely Island and what they would do that everything was so them, yet all of their concepts were so different. Uh, she, I mean, again, she's having a great season.
2: Absolutely. And then of course, our other poll that we do every week is the MVP poll where we want to know from you who is the MVP of this particular episode. So a couple of interesting notes. So Andrew mukes, obviously seven sketches. That's the most in his career. Heidi was in six. Ego and Chloe were in five. So big nights for all of them. Also Sarah and Marcelo in five uh, as well. Uh, then uh, Michael B. Jordan was in 11 sketches in this particular episode. Only... I believe, about 36 hosts in the history of SNL have ever reached 11 or more sketches. The record is Betty White, who was in 13 sketches in 2008. Hard to believe Betty White has that record. But 11, I was, I was looking at that, I was like, 11? 11. 11 is a very big number. Like, we don't get that very often. So uh, he did a ton of things, including being on Weekend Update and, of course, many, every single pre-tape, every single uh, sketch this week. So Michael B. Jordan is an option. All the cast members are options, musical guest as well, little baby. So I want to know from our panelists who
3: they think the top three MVP vote-getters were this week week. Haskell, start with you. Listen, I always whenever I'm on a round table, I usually find a point to put in the host somewhere in the top three. I'm not going to do that this week. And it's really not against Michael B. Jordan. He was a good host. I throw him into that category. I'd love to see him again. But I think a few a few cast members just had such strong episodes. So number three, Sarah Sherman. Just said everything I can about her. Number two, Heidi Gardner. Again, we've kind of said everything about that. And I don't want to just like be generic to what you said. But, of course, number one, Michael Longfellow, future a though no, <laughs> it's Team Haskell, Andrew DeSmooks, man. This is a coming out party for him. One of his best, if not his best episode as a cast member. It was awesome. Andrew DeSmooks, keep it rolling. Rich, what do you think? Who is our top three this week?
1: I mean, for me, I would put the same ranking as Haskell. What I think the audience said, I feel like that our online audience has a real Sarah Sherman bias. So just to mix it up, I'm going to put her in the number one slot, Dismukes in the number two slot, and I'm going to go Michael B. Jordan in the three slot. Kalina, what do you think?
0: I'm exactly with Haskell. That's, that's the exact order for the exact reasons. Uh, but I also agree with Rich that we, I think there's a big, big love for Sarah right now. So I wouldn't be surprised to see her in the number one spot.
2: All right, so this is interesting. So Andrew Dismukes does take our MVP results this week, but Marcelo Hernandez, who we did not even talk about tonight on the roundtable, a lot of Marcelo fans out there who are very excited for what he had with the uh, the uh, the towel guys sketch. The, Ellen, the You know, he had a lot of fun with those lines, and uh, this one too. I
0: want to to fold the the toilet paper into a little
1: triangle. So for the first wipe, it's crazy.
2: Yeah, he, yeah. That, I mean, the towel guy sketch, we didn't even get into it tonight, but Marcelo Hernandez comes in second place, 12%. So Andrews Meek 61% dominates the week for MVP results. Marcelo comes in second, 12%. Heidi Gardner in third place, 10%. Michael P. Jordan, the host, also tied, uh, 10%. And then Sarah Sherman in fifth place with 8%. So we mentioned uh, Andrew, Heidi, MBJ, and Sarah, but also Marcelo as well
3: is the, are the results for MVP week number 11. Can I say one thing about Marcelo? Sure. If... If Dismukes is like the successor to Forte, then put Dismukes and Marcelo together in a classic Fred Armisen and Will Forte sketch. Because it, it's like, it, it, I don't know, it's like a biopic where you have like the perfect people playing the roles. That, that role that he had this week, and I know it's, it's kind of coming off of like the Hispanic accent, but like he like channeled Fred Armisen in that sketch.
2: For sure. Not to mention that Marcelo was actually also cut from Weekend Update as himself this week. So he would have had an even bigger night had that made it on the show. All right, let's close the book tonight for now on the MBJ episode of SNL, and let's move ahead to PP, Pedro Pascal, coming in next week to host Saturday Night Live. And, of course, Pedro Pascal, uh, known around the streets for Mandalorian. Uh, How about The Last of Us? There's so many hits for Pedro Pascal. Uh, People have been talking about him hosting for a couple of years now. So, Haskell, are you excited to have Pedro Pascal
3: in the building? I'm not ashamed to say it. I love PP, man. Come on now. Like, this guy is like you said like every big thing like he's now a part of right i'm a huge star wars fan so the mandalorian like excited for that to come back uh now he's in like the next big hbo show and that's doing huge numbers so that's awesome and if you see him in interviews you see him on the red carpet like he comes across as that guy who's going to be down for anything um so high high expectations going into next week
2: Rich Tack, what do you think about Pedro Pascal coming in to host the show next week?
1: Oh, I think it'll be great. I mean, as far as you know, his new show, which has got such great buzz, the timing is great. I not only have the sense of humor of a five-year-old, I am a scaredy cat like a five-year-old. I hate being startled. So I watched most of the first episode of his new show with a blanket over my head, with my wife telling me when the startle moments were over. So I am not his core audience anymore. But what I really like is a really accomplished actor who I, I feel like this is his moment, but he's been around for so long from game of thrones to like that i think he will will feel that same sense of oh i finally got here as opposed to a younger person who early in their career gets to do it because they suddenly got a lot of fame and i have a hunch he'll have a really good sense of humor so i'm always nervous about the drama but i feel like he's got enough uh, i see in him i think it, he'll he'll uh he'll do well
2: alina what about you are you a fan of pedro pascal are you excited to see him on the show
0: I'm stoked. Um, I- I'm excited about him specifically because even though I think a lot of people probably perceive him as a dramatic actor, we have seen him do some comedic stuff as well. But I think for anyone like me who's really nerdy and loves to watch like press junkets and behind-the-scenes stuff, Pedro lets a lot of his personality shine when he's doing press junkets. And so I've already, in my mind as a fan, formulated an idea of the kind of post I think I he could be or, you know, the kind of sketches I could see him being in, characters I think he could play. He also just seems like somebody who would just be kind of like Rich was saying, like really gung ho. I can see him just being open to so many different fun ideas and just really leaning into it. He seems like the type of guy who's gonna have a blast the entire week and in my opinion, the people having the most fun are who make the best hosts. That hardly matters on, you know, their talent or their qualifications, as long as they are both feet in the water. So I think it'll be a great episode.
2: I'm pumped. I'm really excited about Pedro Pascal. I think this was an amazing choice for Saturday Night Live, obviously. And I've heard that he's wanted to do this before, so uh, I think like you know this this winning streak they've been on is going to continue this week. I have high faith in them. So excited uh, for them to come out with another winner, and also love the the diversity of having somebody like Pedro Pascal who comes in, you know, from you know different countries around the world. gets people from different countries get to host Saturday Night Live. So uh, so much fun, and uh, yeah, can't wait to get to see what we're going to see this week. And I'm excited to continue to preview. It and talk about it all week long. So on Wednesday night, right after this show, uh, the next one up is by the numbers, where we're going to have Mike and Nicole and special guest Jamie Burwood from TV show graphs joining them for that show to break down all the statistics from this week. Can't wait to see what the screen time was for James Austin Johnson, Heidi Gardner, Andrew Dismukes. We'll find all of but we'll find out about all of that on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, I will be back for our patron feedback show to talk about all of the questions you have from this week of Saturday Night Live. And then preview the Pedro Pascal episode with a wonderful patron. And of course, we'll be back for the hot take show right after that. I want to thank our panel for joining us tonight and ask them if they got any plugs. So, Haskell, I'll start with you, or can the listeners check out everything you got going on?
3: Uh, Andrew he- E. Haskell across social media. Check me out. Stand-up dates all over New England. February 9th, I'm going to be at Comics Roadhouse at Mohegan Sun for The Most Wanted Show. Very excited about that. And let's face it, I'm going to be best friends with Michael Longfellow in like two weeks. So I'll probably be opening for him like all around the country.
2: Absolutely. Say hello, Mikey Longs. Uh, Rich Tackenberg, so wonderful to get to talk to you about SNL again. Thrilled to have you back. We're on the criminal listeners. Check out everything you have going on.
1: Uh, I'm doing a lot of writing under the name ChatGPT. So if you've used that, that's actually just me writing back to you. So it's great to see everybody. Uh, I'm never online anymore. I'm old and tired. So, but if you're in LA, first a lot of storytelling. So Moth Risk, uh, all those shows come out. Uh, give me a holler on, uh, on and let me know. And
2: Kalina, what about you? Where can the listeners check out what you have going on?
0: I'm also in LA and I'm also old and tired. And so I'm also not on social media that much. (laughs) But in theory, you can find me (laughs) across the board at Shut Up Kalina.
2: Absolutely. And if you want to check out everything we have going on on socials, you can find us at the SNL Network, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you can, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and find me at John Schneider 24 if you want to chat. Uh, Just before we head out tonight, I just would like to make a quick uh, dedication for this particular episode on a little bit of a personal note. Over the last uh, two and a half years, I've gotten to know a lot of our listeners, and I know they've gotten to know me as well, so I figured it couldn't hurt to get a little bit personal. I had a little bit of a tough day today where I actually uh, lost my grandmother, my my bubby, as we called her. And um, I thought I would mention this and sort of dedicate this episode to her because she was always extremely proud of, you know, me and getting to start off this podcast network. Uh, she always followed me when I emceed events. And then she was uh, excited to hear what I was doing there. I'm very excited to uh, hear what I was doing with podcasting. She didn't always understand Saturday Night Live in full, but we always had these really fun moments where she would come over for dinner sometimes. And I'm sure like many of you, getting to show your parents or grandparents SNL sketches was always really fun when you're really into the show. And I remember showing her Linda Richman, uh, Mike Myers' uh, character, that Jewish uh, character that she always just uh, loved so much. Um, Also, uh, I think there was a great character, a Phil Hartman character called Eugene, uh, the anal retentive chef that she also really enjoyed. So uh, we had some really good laughs sitting around the table watching some SNL sketches. So she sort of got to understand uh, what I did over here and always asked me how it was going. So um, sending my love to to my Bobby today and appreciate all the support from all of our uh, listeners as well, because, you know, just being around all these friends that we made over the last couple of years it's always nice to be around them in difficult times so I hope we gave you some enjoyment tonight and I know it, this was the best part of my day getting to talk to all of you about SNL so uh, thank you to Haskell and Rich and Kalina for joining us tonight and everybody in the chat we will see you next time everybody
0: have a good one